Pete Giuliano, good good morning. It is Saturday, April 27, 2019, and that makes this Solder Smoke. Pete, what is the number? It's number 211, and please note it's 5 a.m. out of the West Coast. 211. 211. At O Dark 30 on the oh, West Coast. Oh, thank you. O Dark 30. <laughs> thank, thank you, Pete, for getting up at this ungodly hour. Yeah. Hold on a second. I'm just adjusting my microphone here so I can hear everything. All right. Very good. Well, Pete, I am really delighted that you have not quit the podcast because, you know, while I was away, I want to point out, I was out of the country when this yeah. all went down, as they say, on the street. But around April 1st, I, and I was, in fact, out of the country. I was in I, I was in Guatemala and in Costa Rica. And those are countries where traditionally when people are trying to avoid responsibility for something, they often go to Guatemala or Costa Rica. Hey, I yeah. was in Guatemala. Couldn't have been me. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, somebody... The, the report was, the report that I got, and I picked it up, you know, on my phone as I was traveling down there in Central America, was that somebody had placed malicious code. It was a, it was truly malicious. They had heard about us talking, you bragging incessantly about the rock-solid stability of your SI-5351 digi-VFOs with their Arduino sidekick and all that. And then all of a sudden, like in the last podcast, you were talking about, wow... You were working on one of the rigs, I think an old national rig or something like that, right? Yeah. And yeah. and no matter what you did, it, it, it was exhibiting thermal drift characteristics. Ha <laughs> Dastardly, yeah. I say. Yeah. And and you know, so then we started to poke around a little bit and we con, con concluded with um we we consulted with uh, Luigi Bugiardo over there at the Arduino Institute in uh Calabria and you know, he, he pointed out that he took a look at it and found some malicious code in there. This this threw you into the typical, you were biting your finger like they do on the Godfather movie. Ah! Anyway, you, 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 it was frequent mention of the fact that you know a guy who knows a guy who could take care of this. But anyway, uh, glad that you're not quitting because it turns out that the most important fact about this malicious code was the day on which it was launched, correct? Yes, the day. <laughs> April 1st. April 1st. April yes. 1st. <laughs> anyway, uh, it's been busy times. I have been traveling. That accounts for the delay in the podcast. I blame it on work. I can't. I don't really have too much to say about the uh, about the trip, other than Costa Rica does seem like a great place for uh, for portable operation, and I would would certainly recommend it. Um, how, Pete, you've been busy too. We tried we tried to do this a couple a week or so ago, but you your your Easter Sunday duties had kept Pasta Pete wearing an entirely oh, yeah. different set of headgear. You were yes. wearing the, the chef the chef thing. Yes, the I was. Hat. You were, and and we had a non traditional Easter meal. Explain that to us. Okay, well, you know, typically the Easter people will have a spring ham or they'll have. You know, it's not like Thanksgiving with a turkey or where you have a Christmas prime rib. Uh, typically, Easter, they have a ham. My my kids wanted, are you ready for this? I'm ready. Lasagna and corned beef. <laughs> lasagna and corned not, not lasagna, corned beef, but no, lasagna, lasagna and, cor and, and corned, corned beef. beef. Yes. Very, 
Yes. Very eclectic, very very Irish too. Yeah. Yes, it was really good. <laughs> well, you see, their their mom is part Irish. Well, so there you, there you go. There you, there you go. Okay. Well, you know, uh, you know, whatever. Aaron Gobra and all that. Great. Yeah. I guess it was pretty close to St. Patrick's Day. It was a month yeah, off. Yeah. It was. Re- it was really good. All right. And how? You know, are you, are you doing any? Are you getting any more uh, hits? I, I use that kind of you know loosely as a result of the pasta Pete operation. Well, well, I, I can't say because there's another part of the story. Uh, a couple of days ago, um, I, I got a message from GoDaddy, which hosts my websites, and they said, "Hey, it's time to renew." And uh, so I said, "Okay, I'm ready for the religious experience known as the Sermon on the Amount." <laughs> And as it, as, it, as, it, as it turns out, I have been I've had a website for 15 years, and it was initially put, placed on an old uh, what they now call obsolete Windows server, and so they want to try to force everybody to go over what to what they call a C panel, which is a boo, Linux. Boo! Boo! Well, well, it's an economic thing. One year on the Windows server for hosting is 200 bucks. Three years on the C panels, 200 bucks. So you can spend $600 or you can spend $200. So I decided to shift everything over. And, Bill, it's it's like you never want to upgrade your Arduino IDE. <laughs> you never, you never want to do that. I, I got to tell you, I, I've been pulling my hair because you have to first up migrate and then you have to reload. And <laughs> some, sometimes you have all these – Secondary links, like you'll have oh, a yeah. web page, all that. kind of photos and things like that. You have to reload everything. So I'm, try- I'm trying not to be analogically uh, delighted by all this, but uh, anyway, all I can say is that you guys, you know, you asked for it. Hey, move your mic down a little bit. You're popping the mic. You're getting weird. Okay. There you go. That's better. That's yep. it. All right. Okay. Yeah, we have very sensitive listeners out there. They don't so, like that so, mic popping. So anyway, so anyway, answer your question. I have to put new counters. So I don't know. I have to put new counters on oh, the website. Oh, of course, yeah. Well, this gets us, Pete, to another topic that came up during the last uh, few weeks, and that is related to the digital analog divide. You and I have explored this frontier pretty much ad nauseum, some would say. But but I think it's really interesting. Hold on a second. I got the cat out. But that's weird. I saw your door open, but I saw no one come through. Tyson, Tyson, the cat. Tyson, oh, yeah. the cat is is well. He's we the one him. with the OCD, whatever. Well, we we love him. He's he, yeah. he's all right. Can't can't complain about him. But anyway, as we were saying, the digital analog divide, and there was a something that came across. I put it up on the uh, on the blog. You guys can see it. There's a, a new book out with a really interesting looking cover called Coders. 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 It's yeah. about this new tribe that is formed out there, people who who live in the world of computer code. But they, they, they did an interview with the author of the book, and they were asking about why so many people who are not coders have such difficulty understanding people who are coders, especially authors. How, how Why is it that guys who write books, even books about uh, digital things, really have a tough time understanding the people who live in this world of lines of code. And he came up with a a line there that I thought that really resonated with me. And he said, it's because of 
a factor what he what he calls the ambiguity factor, and that is people who live in analog world, analog systems, can deal with ambiguity. And as a matter of fact, they're accustomed to ambiguity. So in other words, if you're working on an old car, like on the TV shows that you and I have been watching, and you you fail to tighten one of the screws properly, the car is still going to function. It might not function perfectly. There might be some noise. The steering might not be quite right, but it's not going to shut down completely. Whereas in the world of code, one small sort of similar mistake in terms of scale, the whole thing just sits there and stops and stares at you. And so for me, I, I, I immediately said, yeah, that, that gets to a lot of it. And I looked around and I said, you know what? Ambiguity. All my rigs are chock full of ambiguity. I think that does account for the big for a big difference. What do you think about that? Well, yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, I mean they they sit there. I'm, I was just just thinking when you when you were describing the uh, the transfer there, I was thinking about how many and we we've received them just in the last couple of weeks. How many messages do we get from guys who say, "Hey, I got really enthusiastic about this rig that you were talking about with the SI fifty three fifty one." But I can't get it to compile. Yes. Compile. This thing sits there, and it will start spitting out error codes at you. First of all, the error codes are completely indecipherable by normal human beings. It's not like they're supposed to tell you what's wrong, but you could read it. You could read these error codes till till the end of time. You're not really going to know what's wrong. They don't really tell you anything. They just speak in more kind of computer language. And but it just sits there and obstinately refuses to compile, and and eventually you discover through a series of torturous emails and everything else that oh you're using the wrong IDE. How many times have we been through this? And this is supposed to be this is with <laughs> Arduino. This is the one that's supposed to be the most user friendly, right? Yeah. Anyway, compile. Hmm. Compiler. <laughs> I keep whenever you go back to your your kind of urban Italian uh, language and <laughs> compile this. Yeah, <laughs> that's enough of that. It's a family yeah. show. Hey, uh, uh, but speaking of analog, I want to jump ahead a little bit here, and I have in my hand a wonderful book. Um, Dave W two D A B. Here's his his QSL card. There you go. He's, he, is, he lives up on the Upper East Side, New York City. And he was the one who um, rescued the, uh, the, uh, um, the, the, the HP signal generator that, uh, that, I was got, that I got and from Steve Silverman. I got it here now before Steve moved. But I went up and I, met, I was able to visit uh, Dave uh, up, up, on, up on the Upper East Side. Recently, he posted that he had been to Columbia University in New York City, where they had sort of a session on Edwin Howard Armstrong. It looked really Ooh. interesting. Yeah. And and I, I just sent Dave a note. I said, oh, please send us more. And he said, don't worry, I will. And what he did was he sent me a book from wow. the symposium. And it's a, it's a wonderful book. I just started reading it this morning. It's Man of High Fidelity, Edwin Howard Armstrong by Lawrence Lessing. And uh, it's the story of the greatest American inventor since Edison, Edwin Howard Armstrong, 
the man responsible for FM radio, and a whole lot yeah. more. Yeah. But I, I just want to read you, kind of, read for, for you and our listeners here, uh, kind of one of the opening paragraphs from this book. And, and it's in the, in the chapter, the first chapter entitled The Attic Inventor. He talks about how Armstrong um, was set up in an attic workshop as a boy in Yonkers, New York, overlooking the Hudson River. By then, it was deeply rooted in the American legend that all great inventors began thus. In just such a homely room, a man alone might, with the aid of only his own two hands, luck and native intelligence, come upon a new idea that would not only make his fortune but move the world. Thomas Edison had begun his experiments in an unused corner of his family's farm cellar. The young Wright brothers, Wilbur and Orville, were then building a gliding machine in a room behind their small bicycle shop in Dayton, Ohio, from which they were to go on to make the first powered flight in a heavier-than-air machine at Kitty Hawk, North Carolina in 1903. Everywhere, in odd corners of the land, boys of a curious bent were tinkering over makeshift, makeshift apparatus and work tables, absorbed in pursuit of the American dream. The boy in the attic in Yonkers was spending most of his days and nights fiddling with a telegraph key and wireless contraptions. Oh. It starts out really, really well. I, there's the, 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 I just it, the, the knack is just oozing from this book. It sounds like Marconi. It does. It does sound a lot like Marconi, and you yeah. know, because you you read about how Marconi's mother recognized his interest in in his radio or in his electricity, and she gave him kind of an attic room above the family home in Bologna. Um, so I'm really looking forward to, to reading this, and uh, I think it, it, it's mostly on on FM, but it's got a lot of cool stuff in there. It's like one chapter is entitled "The Signal Corps Major." That's where he came up with the superhead thing, the superhead idea while watching a the inventive act. Oh man, good titles here. The Boy Wireless Operator, Chapter Three. Thank you very much, Dave, for sending that to us. But anyway, that's Edwin Howard Armstrong. Pete, before we get down to Earth, we got to go into space. Yes. Space, the final frontier. And that's because one of the reasons we're doing that is because we are now in the 50th anniversary summer. Hard to believe. Hard to believe. Where were you when they set foot on the moon? At home. We had the day off. We had the day off. Moon day. Moon day. (laughs) Yeah, we got the day off from work so we could watch the moon landing. You yeah. were you were already back from Vietnam at that point. Oh yeah, yeah. I was married. Yeah, you were married. Yeah, I I was in school. I was ten years old, and I, I I didn't take I didn't I didn't get the day off, but I took the day off because it was such an important thing. I mean, I was I was such, Moon Day. I was such a space nerd. I was just so into it, and uh, and I, I was just so so excited about the whole thing. And now we're at the fiftieth anniversary, and all kinds of. Uh, kind of commemorations are coming up. Sometimes you don't even rem- you're not even you don't even remember that. Oh yeah, it's because it's the 50th anniversary. But um, uh, there was th- there's been a number of movies that have come out, some better than others. The one I mentioned, I I, I put it on the blog, and it was a, it's a documentary that they did on Apollo 11. And what it is is they they just discovered a very large stash of original high def. Uh, film made of various parts of the Apollo 11 mission, including the moving of the of the Saturn V out to the launch pad at 39A, 
and a lot of this stuff that had never been been publicized before. So these guys who found it decided they were going to put it together in a documentary. But they did it in a very unusual way. They didn't. There's no narration. They didn't attempt to jazz it up or interview. They just took the original video, spliced it together, and the only audio they used was the audio, actual audio from the astronauts speaking, sort of the capsule-to-ground communication, and some of the descriptive journalistic audio by Walter Cronkite, who was covering the whole thing for CBS News. So um, <laughs> I, I asked Elisa to accompany me to this uh, to this documentary, and uh, she's she's a there good were, sport. There were no chicks in the flick. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, there, there were a few, but there were there were fewer in the audience because I think yeah, a lot of the other yeah, guys realized yeah, yeah. that this might be a time for to go. Now, I I just I don't I don't like to go to the movies alone, so we went, and she. She got through it. It was a bit. It was a bit much for somebody who's not as deeply into the moonshot as I am. But it was. It was interesting. And and, and you know, there's also co- coincidentally a lot of space stuff going on in the world of amateur radio. And you know, I've, yeah. I've I've been into this. So you and I were talking about this one. This is one of the big ones, I think, and it hasn't gotten enough attention. This is really important. Oscar 100 is up there, and it's different. It's geostationary, 22,500 miles up. It's not like the low-Earth orbit satellite. Low, or, low-Earth or orbit satellites are an amazing achievement and great fun, and you wait for them to come over, and you've got your 10-minute window, and you're listening to them and, and shooting signals through them. But, wow, they've got one up now at geostationary. They put it up there. Um, it was a combined effort, mostly, uh, I think, funded and supported by uh, radio amateurs from the Middle East, from Qatar, the Qataris, working with German hams from the, the German satellite, uh, German German AMSAT, AMSAT DL. And they have put this repeater, it's basically operating at around 10 gigahertz sideband. Uh, it's over the Eastern Hemisphere. It's actually hovering in the geostationary position over the Democratic Republic of the Congo, which means that it can see all of Europe, almost all of Asia, and a tiny sliver of Brazil. And so anybody who's in the, the footpath, footprint for this thing can aim their up their satellite uplink system to it, and it is really amazing. One of the amazing things is they've linked it up with Web SDR. So they've taken the downlink and they've just put it online live. There's one in the UK, there's one in Brazil, and you can go anytime and log on to this thing. You get the waterfall. It's as if this is your receiver. And you can just tune around and listen to what's coming down from this satellite. And I just find it amazing. It's it's like it's as if they put another 20-meter band up there. But a 20-meter band that's always open to everywhere. Well, to half the Earth. Half the Earth. And that has no QSB. But the conversations are very... The QSOs seem very much like standard ham radio QSOs on the 20-meter band, sideband. And I, I just really love it. Pete, but you know, i got to tell you something. You, you, you'll, you'll, probably, you'll probably laugh when you hear this. As I sit there, you know, you listen to this stuff. You're working on something else in the shack. And it's just so cool listening to this. I seriously found myself a couple times thinking, you know, maybe if I take that, that old dish from the dish satellite system up on the roof and get myself a low-noise amplifier, 
you know, and figure out where to point it. Maybe I can. Then I'm like, you know, <laughs> facepalm. No, I can't because it's on the other side of the planet. We don't have one of these things. And the comment I made to you is, where's the American involvement in we, projects like this? We need one. I mean, it's 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 sad that we don't have one up there. I mean, especially you know we're doing the 50th anniversary of Apollo 11, and we don't we don't have something like this. This is really sad. Somebody somebody needs to get to work on this. Somebody needs to call Elon Musk. Yes. yes. Call Elon, man. He can put his car up there. You know? Yeah. Uh, seriously, I mean, you, there's, there, there's got to be a way of doing this. It would be so cool to have one of these over the Western Hemisphere. And then my idea, and I want to I want to get credit for this, come up with some sort of microwave link between the two birds, if that's possible, and have sort of a set of frequencies where it's overlap, where you go up. You're trying to figure out that I know you might have to have no, a repeater. No, in there. you can't. You can't because they're too far in the curvature of the Earth. The microwave. Yeah, but if you had a third one up there, right? Well, yeah, you ping pong ball. Yeah, ping pong. Yeah, you do it like that, or you could even do it do it link yeah. through a ground through the ground station or something. Yeah. Like that. But that would be really cool, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, it, it is it is really neat. And if you guys haven't done it, check out the web SDR, and you could you could listen to this. You'll probably find yourself like me, just sitting there. Starting to think about, yeah, well, I got to build an antenna system, and I, if I do this, then you think, no, no, it's not going to work because it's not up there; it's up on the other side of the planet. But congratulations to the Qataris and to the Germans for getting this thing up there. It's, it's really pretty amazing. Um, yes, I'm, bite, I'm biting my tongue. I know, I know. Hey, other big success, big success in the space area. Our friend Farhan has another spacecraft in orbit, a second one. It's AISAT. Went up on the first of first uh, of April. I, when he first told me about, it, I thought he was pulling my leg when he told me the launch date was one April, and I said, "Really?" But it really was. It's uh, it's in low Earth orbit. This one's geosynchronous. It's in a polar orbit, and and uh, I mean sun synchronous. It's in sun synchronous orbit, and that means it comes over pretty much the same time each twice each day. So for me, it's coming over about 10 a.m. and then it's coming over again about 10 p.m. And I have listened to it, listened for it. Uh, many times, and I always hear it. I know when it's coming, and as soon as it comes up over the horizon, I swing my little uh, kind of refrigerator tubing Yagi antenna at it, and it comes in quite strong. It's a digipeter, so you can you could digit you could digitally you could repeat your digital signals through it. But uh, it's it's great fun, and I put uh, pictures of my waterfall display because I'm receiving it with my RTL SDR dongle, and I put. Uh, pictures of it up on on the blog one of the cool things is i think in one of the pictures you can actually see the doppler shift because you see that you see the 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 one burst of telemetry or the id burst coming from the satellite then the waterfall moves on and you see the next burst but it's significantly to the left it's shifted down and so that's the that's the doppler shift that that is kind of cool um hey look space is difficult and i've been reading this other book Light of the Stars, Alien Worlds and the Fate of the Earth by Adam Frank. And it's it's got one quote in here that I want to share with you guys because it is uh, it, this is difficult stuff. And this is this really for me, it's it's I think of Farhan, I think about what a challenge this represents. And it says here, um, um, uh, we're talking about one of the guys who was in despair. Uh, after one of the failed uh, failed earlier um, the failed Mar- Mariner launches, years later, uh, the guy who was involved in this project recalled the man the mantra 
of all space engineers. Quote, to be a hero, there are 10,000 parts that need to work properly on a spacecraft. To become a bum, you need to just have one of them fail. Right? <laughs> Tough stuff. Anyway, congratulations to, to Farhan for getting that uh, AI sat up there. But Farhan, if you have some connections with Elon, call Elon. Tell him we need a geosynchronous bird over the Western Hemisphere. That, that oh, would be that'd be really over, cool. Over Kansas. Over Kansas? Why Kansas? Well, it's the center, geographic center of the United States. Yeah, hey, but, I, but I don't think, but the, I don't think that's where the geosynchronous orbit goes. I think it's got to be, it's got to be, it's got to be equatorial, right? It's got to be further south. That's why. So I think the point. I don't, I don't know where the parking. As long as we're in the footprint, that's all that counts. Yeah. Okay, Elon, get 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 to work on that if you could. Finally, there's a, there's another thing been going on. They've been transmitting uh, slow scan TV from the International Space Station, and I have been kind of playing around with this thing, kind of half half heartedly, uh, and I, I but I always manage to receive the signal. But lately, I've been having a whole lot of trouble decoding it, and I discovered that it's not entirely my fault. Somehow they they have got the the settings for the audio portion of the SSTV downlink from the space station set too low. So you can see that it's an FM signal, and you can see that the the, yeah, the signal is quite strong. But then the audio, the sidebands on either side, you can see it on the on the waterfall. They're quite weak. It's because whoever set it up didn't set up the audio properly. Now this is an interesting technical thing, Pete, because I I see they had um. Uh, AWRL put out sort of an explanation of what, what, what happened here. And it was like, well, you know, the system itself is quite complicated and the astronauts are quite busy. So I wasn't quite sure from reading it whether it was that the system was so complicated or that the astronauts were quite busy. I got the impression that it's a combination of both. In other words, they're too busy to take the time to figure out how to adjust the audio on this complicated rig that they've sent up there which says something right about complexity and uh, and the difficulty of adjusting things i understand what they're going to try to do now is they're going to try to go with a system up there that can be controlled from the ground so it'll be on the space station it'll be transmitting sstv but they could do all the adjustments down here and not have to bother the busy astronauts it makes it makes sense but anyway space the final frontier Oh, one one other thing I wanted to point out, for for Far, Farhan's uh, satellite that he has up there now, he sent me the schematic of the rig on the satellite. It's actually on the final stage of a larger, the booster stage of a large Indian spacecraft that went up. Um, but the circuit is now available and it's on the blog. Check it out. You can see the actual circuit that they they use on this thing. It's 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 surprisingly uh, simple. Back to Earth, Pete. Here we are. What's on your bench? I know you've been you've been working on stuff, and people all around the world have been working on your rigs. What's going on? Tell us. Give us an update. Well, you know, it's just a whole bunch of things. Uh, one, I uh, I played around a little bit with the NCX3, and uh, that, that was yeah yeah that was that was kind of kind of exciting. Um, first of, it uses two VFO ranges. And uh, I noticed on one of the VFO ranges, it, it was just warbly. And so I went in there and uh, took the VFO cover off and had to apply deoxid to the switches and all that. And, and I think about those designs, scary. <laughs> I mean, 
this was advanced technology in 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 the nineteen sixties, but didn't anybody think that you know over time there'd be oxidation and there'd poor contacts and you know just <laughs> it's just scary what they did. So once I got it cleaned up, it, it worked pretty pretty okay. The oxid the oxid is a miracle stuff. I mean, so I, I've had things where yeah. I just thought the thing was dead, and I go in there and put a little yeah. bit of the oxid yeah. on it, and bang, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just that they put a cover over it, but you just you just wonder, did anybody think? And maybe they think five years from now this thing's going to be obsolete. Why worry about it? You know that that could be it. Seventy years later, it's still around, but <laughs> not functioning as the way it should. And uh, so I've been actually I've been on the air a lot because I've been playing with some of the radios, and we'll talk a little bit about that about the vintage sideband nets. Oh man, good stuff! I've been on the yeah. air too. I've been on on the yeah. air too. But go ahead, let's talk about the vintage sideband nets. Amazing! It's great fun, isn't it? Yeah, and it's well, right in our lane. It's because it's it's sideband. Yeah. Uh, first of, s- people are kind of surprised that uh, the two rigs I've been using is the KWM four to get on the Collins nets. So I really have a piece of Collins gear, and I said, "You built that?" I said, "Yeah, <laughs> you know, I built it." And then uh, the interest wanes because it's not something that they can ingest. But the FPM 300 that I rebuilt, uh, they really got a lot of interest in that because, and as a matter of fact, I posted a couple videos of the sideband nets to uh, to, to to show them in, in operation, and uh, they were they were quite surprised at uh, how good it sounds. So uh, uh, a lot of fun to get on those. But but a couple observations. One. I I like the guys in eight and nine land a, a little more than I do the guys in the West Coast because they're a little more vocal. If you get on there with something that's not real vintage, boy, will they let you know. I mean, they go, you hear the the boos and the scream. Oh, they're, they're, called, they're called violators. Violators, yeah. Oh, you know man. they've had they've had people write to them and complain that they don't like the the harshness, and they basically said, "Too bad." Yeah. <laughs> Guy got on there with a seventy three hundred. They said you're banished. <laughs> you can never come back again. <laughs> Don't come back. <laughs> hey, but you, you had suggested this. That let's let's just do it. Let's, it takes two minutes. But I'm sure. gonna, I'm going to play. Yes. A recent. This is March twenty third. I think. Uh, this is the eight and nine land uh, version. And what I'm going to do? It's it's Pat opening up the net because I agree with you that the eight and nine land group is really a lot of fun. Uh, this it, it might not play through first the first time. If not, I'll just I'll just splice it in. But I want you to hear it too. Now what this is, this is Pat calling the net. And of course he has lost the preamble. We've played we've played the preamble before, so listeners have heard that. But this is the part that you want to include. This is the tune up period. Oh, in, yes. in which members of the net are requested to use this time to get on frequency get on well good luck with that get on frequency and uh tune up their rigs and their finals especially it's two minutes and let's let's play it now i'll try to i'm gonna hold the mic up to the the speaker okay this is pat wb9gkz good morning this is wb9gkz in sturgeon bay wisconsin and it's Saturday morning, yes. Saturday morning, the vintage sideband net. And um, I don't have the official preamble in front of me, but as to the best of my memory, you're welcome to check into this net if you're running some old type of old crappy sideband vintage equipment. 
especially must have tubes in it or a hybrid like I'm running today. Certain solid-state radios are always granted vintage status at the discretion of net control, and I get pretty fickle about that, so you just never know what's acceptable. Um, let's see. Please check out our website, vintagessb.net. Last week's net audio is up. You can push the little playback buttons and uh, listen to the net audio. Punch up your call letters, and you can hear what you sounded like if you want to. Some people don't like that. They don't want to hear themselves. They sound way too vintage. Hmm. Nothing special going on this week. Just the usual stuff. Tell us what, where you are, what kind of old sideband junk you're running, and uh, anything else on your mind. But do not time out the repeater. So please tune up everything you have. All knobs to the right for the vintage sideband net. And uh, I'll recap check-ins that I have on the list after the net official tune-up. This is WB9GKZ and the vintage sideband net. Okay, be careful, everybody. Be careful. Especially you sweet tube users. Be very careful. Thank you. All right, Pete, did you, you couldn't hear that, I don't think. No. Uh-uh. Well, you, you'll, you'll, you'll hear it when I plug it in. Okay. Somehow it didn't make it through the, the microphone Skype connection here. But it's a lot of fun, and the, the, yeah. our, our listeners will hear it. And it's, you know, he admonishes them all to, for the tune-up, to turn all controls fully to the right. Yes. And then they <clears throat> then they begin, uh, these, these dudes do seem to be getting out of hand here a little bit with their, uh, you know, the, the sounds that they make to, uh, to to make sure that they're fully modulating. But anyway, it is, it is a lot of fun, and I, I, I really I really like the, the the these these guys. Now we got this is the vintage SSB group out of out of eight and nine land. They're really good. Um, but but on the other hand, uh, here in the West Coast, they they don't seem to you know follow that. You could come on the on the net with any any kind of rig that you have. The other thing too that I notice is there maybe polite to a fault like a guy got on there and his signal sounded like crap <laughs> and they did man it really sounds good i said who are you kidding <laughs> I mean, well, who, who are you kidding <laughs> the, the, the collins guys on 20 meters are not that way no <laughs> no they're they're, they're 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 pretty unforgiving yeah and then this other guy got a, a matter of fact i was on with my sbe 33 and this other guy put one on and his, one of the problems was some of the some of the variants of the 33, and there were at least three or four different variants within that series. Some of them are subject to uh, FMing, so that you get this warble as you as you hit the voice peaks. And they said, he said, how do I sound? They said, oh, really great. I said, no, it doesn't. <laughs> You're FMing. I said, you need to fix the voltage regulator. So I mean, I, I think it's one thing to put put a rig on the air but it's another thing if it doesn't sound right 
I, I want to know. You know, if, if I don't sound right, tell me, and I'll, I'll get it fixed. Especially if it's something that is fixable. A lot of times, yeah. it's just a matter of, of adjustment. The guys will get on, and they'll just they'll be overdriving it, and there's no real need for that. There's no reason for that. But I I was listening on. I actually checked in to the Collins net on 20 meters, and uh, I just they were they were looking for check-ins. Conditions were bad. They weren't getting a lot of check-ins, so I figured, what the heck? I called in on my micro bidex told them about the micro bid X. They were fascinated by the micro bid X. When I told them it was a $100 multi-band radio, they were like, tell us more. Yeah. So, so that happens a lot. So I, I told them about it. And then the next guy who checked in was uh, a local here from my same County. And uh, I mean, he was so strong here that I, you know, sometimes when a station is really, really strong, really close, you're not in a good position to kind of, critique the signal just because he's he's probably pretty close to overloading you know your front end end and it's just so strong that it's going to appear wide but the net control who i guess was about a thousand or two thousand miles away from him was having none of it and he says no man you're too wide (laughs) and it it got it got kind of tense there, Pete. Yes, yes, but, tense. But tense. The, but but my neighbor here uh, kind of wisely decided, well, I'll go just go and check on it. So uh, it, it can happen. I mean, sometimes you can you can hit it too hard in your enthusiasm, and so anyway. Uh, but no, but there's there's varying degrees of of candor, let's say. But but I, I I listened to some of the recordings you made from the West Coast, and I think the their their excessive politeness kind of kind of took away from it. I found myself yearning for the uh, in your face <laughs> violator man <laughs> i don't know about you too uh, pete i i just i guess this is kind of a, a generation thing but when some guy tells me yeah i'm really running an old rig here really ancient it's a yesu and as soon as he says yesu i'm like no that's that is not a boat anchor yeah. i don't i don't care what it is if, it, if it's if it's if it's a yesu or an icom or a kenwood it could be really old, but for me, it's 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 more of a modern radio. It's got to be, uh, it, it's got to be sort of the pre-Japanese radio for me to be considered vintage. But again, to each his own. I'm just I'm just dating myself here. But you you've had a different set of you, you've observed something different that we've spotted here before, in terms of uh, horrible distortion on single sideband. Oh. So, so tell us, he's he's oh. he's got a pained look on his face, and I, and oh. I know, I, I feel the pain. I'm biting uh, my lip here. Uh, tell uh, us, Pete. Okay, T- two days ago, uh, I'm listening on 40 meters. Uh, I was using my SBE 33. I'm really enjoying using that that rig because I, I literally rebuilt it. So these, this one guy is trying to make contact. I guess it was on some sort of schedule with this other station, and he's calling him. And uh, the other station uh, comes back, and I hear him say, I can't copy you. You're distorted. You're distorted. You're distorted. With anger. Anger. Anger, yeah. And so the other station calls him, keeps calling him. He's like, I can barely hear you. So I'm listening to both of these stations. First of the guy that was stronger doing the calling, he was not distorted. I, I had perfect copy on him. The other station was off frequency. Aha! Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> you could you could tell because they were not on the same frequency. So I, I the guy that was calling and I said, "Hey, this is N6QW. You're not distorted. You two are not on the same frequency." 
And he says, oh, so I go to the other station and I, I tuned down to his frequency and I said, the other station is not distorted. You're transmitting and receiving on a different frequency. You need to move your dial and you'll copy him and it won't be distorted. That's called, he said, that's called there's nothing wrong with my rig. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with my rig. No, you felt like saying, dude, it's not the rig. It's the yeah. operator. Yeah. <laughs> and this guy is an amateur extra. Well, that's another story. And yeah. I'm saying, if you're going to get on the air, I, I mean, if someone tells me something, I, I say maybe that's a possibility. Like they'll say, "Hey, you know, you got you got a RF in your signal, or you're you're warbling, or whatever have you." I, I don't I don't say there's nothing wrong with my radio. I I d don't discount that as a possibility. I'll, I said maybe you have your RIT on. There's nothing wrong with my radio. Well, Pete, you know this is this is amazing because I've heard this too. And it, it's just mind blowing, because even if you leave aside the kind of the, the lack of of kind of background technical ability among many even extra class radio amateurs, you think the guy would have learned this just by virtue of tuning around. You know, didn't he notice that some of the signals sound what he calls distorted if he tunes, you know, 500 hertz or or one kc off? You'd think that that would say, wow, or, or does he think, holy cow, the band is just chock full, one end to end, distorted signals. No, he's using he's using a digital radio, meaning it only tunes on even digits. <laughs> Integer digits. Ah, that's it too. There you go. <laughs> yeah. You know, oh, that's it. 7200, can't be 72.2, <laughs> you know. It's, it's kind of a quantum thing. Yes. <laughs> but... I, I'm, I'm that that no, that explains it. That's right. Yeah. So you know, I was just, I was saying you you are not on the same frequency as the other station. But but you know, but even that, even if even if it's set up so it only tunes at one kc, he should have heard signals that are one kc off, which sound like Donald Duck. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's but he distorted. Did, it, it still doesn't penetrate. It's distorted. Yeah. Wow. They should have bought a I, half fancy I, I, radio. I just. I just I had to, I had to bite my tongue, and I'm saying this is this is what happens when the ARL dumped down things, you know. I, I, I yeah, it's it's definitely the process. I'm sorry, ARL, ARRL, but that's 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 what we're seeing here. Um, it, it is you get you know we sold a lot of radios, but people don't know how to use them. No, they don't. They don't. Hey, some of the some of these radios, I, I we call them. Radios, not rigs. Your yes. SBE33 is a rig, right? Yes, yes. These, these these other things are kind of radios in the same. Well, a lot of radios, but they had one, and I I presented it. I sort of sort of as kind of a uh, how the uh, how life in appliance land. It's the new FT101 something. 101, yeah. The new version of it, and it's got this fancy screen. I gotta admit, I have screen envy sometimes. Yeah. I feel them pulling me over to the dark side. Because this thing has the waterfall, the 3D waterfall. Oh, man, Steve. I, you know, the 3D waterfall, Pete, sometimes I want to dive into the 3D waterfall. It just looks so cool there, so useful. But I'm resisting, of course. No, I'm going to sit here and fight, I'll, fight I'll, I'll give you something that will let you resist much easier. $4,500. <laughs> well, there's, there's some of these things that are more than that, right? Oh, I mean, yeah, I yeah. Mean, but, I mean, the FT-101 reissue is $4,500. Wow. Okay. Well, 
no, don't need that. Nope. Yeah, but I, I've been on the air too. I got on the air with the MicroBitX. Conditions are kind of up and down. I think we we might be on the verge of pulling out of the the low point. Did I? You know, I followed up on on the, on the Sunspot Oracle lady. Right. She's got a six call. Yeah. She's a Christy is her name. Christy. Right. right. And she predicts that the next sunspot cycle is going to be no better than the one we're in. Yeah, but at least we'll be out of the bottom of it. Even yeah, you know. yeah, but it's nowhere near fifty nine cycle nineteen. Oh, I know, I know, I know. That was I was born in cycle nineteen. Um, you know, those days. I don't know, but um, but at least we're going to be pulling out of it. So sometimes I've been on twenty. I've been working a lot of DX on twenty meters. Yeah, I get on every afternoon. I'm talking to Europeans. It's 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 kind of fun on with the, with the micro bid X. And then get this. I even got on 75 meter single sideband. Ooh, hazardous, hazardous duty. Well, the, here's the key. I think I think I've discovered the key to using 75 meters. Do not get on that band during or after the cocktail hour. Oh, which could be as early as 4 p.m. for for some of the users of those frequencies. Three. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's three o'clock somewhere. Yeah. But, yeah, I think that might be the key because I think they people get more frequency territorial. This is our frequency. We're here every night. And they get more, well, intoxicated during that portion of the radio operating day. So I got on and it was like like one o'clock or in the afternoon or noon. And the, the other advantage is at that point the band is sort of closing, right? It doesn't seem to close as solidly as forty meters. Forty meters get you get those midday doldrums with high absorption. But seventy five, you're still getting like local signals. So I I was talking to guys in three land in uh and and it was it was actually quite pleasant, and we didn't have anybody sort of showing up saying, "Well, I'm sorry, old man. You know the uh, the, the old buzzer drunk guy net starts up here at you know at this hour every single day. So why don't you move?" No, there was, we didn't get any of that. So it was okay. So I'm I'm thinking that 75 SSB might have some potential. Of course, this will last until I have one bad encounter with the uh, the the residents of those frequencies. Well. I, I, I've been getting on 75 meters, but it's only to get on. The, there's the two nets, the Collins net and the Vintage sideband net. They're both on 38.95, and that's that's the only time I get on is to, is to get on there. But you're right. Matter of fact, I heard one guy the other day said, dude, you're drunk. Get off the air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, but that would, that, that, would, that, would, that would have to be out at least three quarters of the band. Right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It explains a lot. Sometimes you sit there and you think, "How could he say that? How, why could? Why would somebody say that?" Then you realize, yeah. "Oh, I know why." Yeah. yeah, yeah. Three sheets to the wind. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, we've talked about dumbed down radio. The signal is distorted. The nets. Hey, hey, I I wanted to share something with you, and I I put this on my blog, but I ran into this guy. Um, Mainly because he showed up my phone. I don't know why. I guess when you start looking in your phone for amateur radio things, something interesting in amateur radio suddenly shows up in my phone. 
Google did this, it. Yeah, this this is Cliff N4CCB, and he's a QRPer. He, he does a lot of QRP operation, and he uh, he's operated from a lot of islands in the Caribbean. And he'll go out and he'll make these YouTube videos. For Easter, he made this video called "How to Pick Up Chicks with Ham Radio." You know, you, you told me you told me to look at this. But I guess it's because I don't want to get in trouble. Maybe it's just some th- somehow I said I should not be looking at this thing. But tell us about it, Pete. Well, it's really cool. He was saying he's out there in the park bench with the radio, and he says it's like it's like having a puppy. <laughs> all these all these women come around and want to see his radio. So he said, "Okay, let me demonstrate how to pick up a chick." And he said, "I'm going to use my Alacraft K2." And so he goes out of the, out of the movie, and next thing you know, the K2 comes up, and he's got these candy chicks, you know, Easter Easter candy. Ah, those chicks. kind of chicks. <laughs> now it become now it makes sense. Yeah. So, otherwise, <laughs> otherwise, this is the most ridiculous thing I ever heard of. So, so I said to him, I said, you gave me an idea. <laughs> I said I need to put my beret on. I, I emailed him. I said, I need to put my bray on and go out to the park bench with with a radio. And no, no, I Pete, said, Pete, listen, I, I, I guarantee you that the KX3 will absolutely negate whatever effect <laughs> that the beret might have. It's like the opposite. You know, there's, yeah. a Dil- there's a famous Dilbert cartoon. I think we had it on the blog yeah. where he's walking along with a, a girl that he's trying to date. And he says to her, would my sex appeal be boosted if I told you that I was a licensed radio amateur? And she, I think the response is, no, it would actually decline by 17.5%. So so in my exchange with him, I, I shared with him some of the radios that I built. So guess what? He comes back to me. He says, hey, he said, you need to go to FDIM. He oh, my said, God. Bring your rigs with you. He said, they'd really be interested in that. And I said, uh, well, <laughs> I said, it's a long story, but. You gonna you gonna plug FDIM? I think it's you know we we like FDIM. Bob Crane is going to be our Solder Smoke podcast. It's uh, coming up a couple car, of weeks. Correspondent, he's going to be out there. I don't know whether Farhan's going. He was making noises about going. I don't know if it's a long trip for him <laughs> on the other side of the world. Um, but you know we we you and I talk about how we're not going to go, and that's because we're kind of sticking the muds. And we don't really like to, to travel, but a lot of guys do, and so we wish them all the best and thank the FDIM guys who organize it. it. It's a great thing for ham radio. It's a great thing for home brewers and QRPers, and and it's really great. You know, one thing I think we we should mention this here. You know, one of the people who is not going to be at Dayton this year is our spiritual leader George Dobbs, G3RJV, um, who who passed away recently, and and you know there was a special issue of Sprat put out in his memory, and the the internet, the the QRP and homebrew community has really been kind of very very uh, prolific in its in its in its commentary on on George and the contributions that he's made. I wrote up a little article for the Solder Smoke blog, and I and I just said you know one of the things about George is that he was such a prolific writer and so great at at sharing his. Uh, his radio expertise that, you know, I, I'm certain that for years, for decades, rigs are going to be built in basements and in attics all around the world using, you know, bits of tribal knowledge and circuitry and ideas from the pages of George Dobbs' work, from Sprat, from Practical Wireless, from his books. And so in that sense, 
he's going to stay on the air. I mean, that's that's really uh, kind of, I know he'd be delighted by that idea. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm sure that, you know, 10, 20 years from now, somebody's going to pull out an old edition of Sprat and say, you know, I'm going to build that particular little rig that George talked about. I mean, uh, you and I have both done it with guys who are, who are long gone. You, you find a circuit there in, uh, I mean, I... Uh, in in Sprat G3YCC was the one who got me into you know homebrew sideband and with his 20 meter simple sideband rig in 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 Sprat. So anyway, uh, thanks to George and uh, like I say, he's he, he's he's gone but not forgotten, and his rigs are going to stay on the air for for many years to come. So he won't be at Dayton, but I'm not going out there either. Well, you, you know it's interesting you should say that uh, there was a. Very prolific uh, builder by the name of Ben Vester, W3TLN. Matter of fact, I think he lived, or the guy with a similar name lives in Falls Church, Virginia, but it's not the same guy. Hmm. He he is a ham, but it's not not the same guy. Anyway, Vester, remember we talked about Rudolph Fisher and and the yeah yeah, yeah. the, the DL6 the, the, okay the homebrew HRO dial okay in that same book, in that same sideband handbook is an article by Vester. Of an all solid state 20 meter SSB transceiver, and and that was really cool because you see the transceiver sitting next to a D104 and the D104 towers over it. I looked at that article and I said, why can't I build something like that more modern? And that was the impetus for me to build a shirt pocket transceiver. There you go. See, see, yeah, yeah. I said he could do it, I could do it, and I did it differently, but. Mine ended up being smaller. You know, and the, Pete, this is the benefit of even though it gets to be kind of a kind of tiresome sometimes, and you get tired of dealing with the uh, the kind of the some of the crazy feedback that you get from readers and listeners. That's why I think it's really worth it to keep up with the blog, certainly with the podcast and other efforts like that, because you know it, somebody might not pick up on it or log on this week or next week. But that blog is going to be out there for a long time, and people will be picking up on those ideas and maybe listening to a podcast and saying, you know, I'm going to I'm going to go out and fire up the soldering iron and build one of those things. So, yeah, I'm going to look up the Vester article you just just mentioned it. But hey, I did go to a local ham fest. I go I go to Winterfest. Oh, and you you bought stuff? I bought some stuff. Uh, I went there. You know, what'd you it, buy? It, what'd you buy? All right, let's see. I got um. There's a a, a kind of a, a shortwave listener receiver that Radio Shack had for many years. It's called the DX390. You've oh yeah, it up. oh yeah. And these were these were really nice. I guess it's 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 about the size of a large book, and it covers everything from like 150 kcs up to 30 megs. It's a test instrument. And it's got a BFO in it. Yeah, test and, instrument. But it's also great for shortwave listening. Yeah. I, I loved this thing when I got it. But you know what? I blew it up. <laughs> you, but you, you know that? how I do it? You know how I blew it up? By Power. taking off, no, by taking off a wool sweater on a dry winter day in New York. Static. I remember it. The radio was there. I was listening to, to 75 meter AM. I was up visiting my mother, and I pulled off the sweater, and I reached down and grabbed the radio, and I felt the little spark, the little static discharge. But the one foolish thing that they did with this rig is they didn't put a couple of diodes across the antenna terminal. 
So, you know, you'd go in there with your, you know, 10, 20,000 volts of static discharge, and you blow out the FET in the front end. So when I got this thing, I was, and I, I tried to fix the other one, but the board was just too hard to work on, and I never got it to work right. But with this one, I, there's a mod that you have to do. You have to go in there and cut one little wire because the engineers who designed this thing thought it would be a great idea to mute the receiver while you're tuning it. Can you imagine that? You're tuning around. <laughs> as soon as you turn the dial, you can't hear anything. The whole purpose of turning the dial is so you can so hear you can somebody. Hear yeah. Right, right. So I went in there and clipped the wire, did that mod. I took two diodes, went, went back to back, went right across the antenna terminal, put it there. The idea is that no matter what the, the polarity of your charge with the static Six charge, it's going to go boom. It's going gonna, it's gonna to keep it below a certain level. And it's going to short out the, through one of the diodes. So I did that. But anyway, that was one of the things I got. Oh, and it came with this little, little wall wart power supply. Kind of neat. Hey. Radio Shack, three or six volts. But you see that switch? Yeah. Well, I plugged the thing in, and this thing wasn't working. There's no visible signs of smoke or anything. It's obviously only been used for this radio. So you start troubleshooting. What the hell could be wrong with this thing? How simple is it? It's a transformer, a couple diodes, maybe a cap in there, right? You know what it was? The switch. You know what fixed it? Deoxid. Deoxid. <laughs> I just Dang reached up. up to the shelf. I pulled out some deoxid. I put it in there. I wiggled the switch four or five times, and boom, Bob's your uncle. So sometimes you got to have this kind of intuitive stuff. Oh, by the way, I got another project on the bench. Talk about repair. Uh, a f- good friend of ours in the neighborhood came came over a little while back with a with one of these Bose Wave radios. Remember these things? Oh right? yeah. They're they're nice. They've got nice speakers in it. But he says, "Oh, I love this radio, and it stopped working. Can you fix it?" So I said, "Let me take a look." I plugged it in. Massive AC hum. What Power is supply. it? Power supply. Power supply. Pro- caps. Probably, yeah. probably the cap, right? All right. So I go in there, and sure enough, there's the power supply, big old transformer, and this cap, right? You know what the value of this thing is? 10,000 microfarads. 10,000 microfarads. <laughs> you yeah. got the correct answer. That's a, that's a lot of, that's a lot yeah. of microfarads. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even have one of those. At, at, 60, at 16 volts. Yeah, exactly. Right? And, <laughs> well, and that, why do I know? <laughs> and that's the one that goes bad, right? Yeah, that's the one that's that goes bad. I mean, yeah. there's a couple smaller ones in there, but the odds are yeah. that's it. So I just went on to Amazon, bing, bing, you know, 10,000, 16 volts. I'll tell in. you a really good place to find those parts. Great service, cheap prices, just radios. He's yeah. actually in Canada. Just yeah, right, but, just across the border. And when you buy the parts, he comes across the border and puts them in the mail. <laughs> just radios. Oh, I know, I know, but but I'm I'm becoming part of the great mass of people. Just go to Amazon. Uh, okay. No okay. matter what it is, yeah, it's just there. radio. But but it's this is like if you're restoring vintage radios. Oh, that kind of, that'd be good. Yeah. Just radios. But anyway, it should be coming in soon. So that was one of the things. Well, anyway, we're talking about the podcast about the the Hamfest. So I um, I got that art that DX390. I found one of these little tripods for the roof. You know, if you try to buy one now, it's like eighty bucks. Yeah, fifteen bucks at the at the Hamfest. That might one day support a hex beam if we ever get some sunspots back. And I saw some some old buddies there. It was real good. I saw Armand WA1UQO. Of course, he and I are usually uh, 
partners in crime here at these ham fests. Uh, Charles. Oh, okay, okay. Did, can you describe looking underneath the tables at the boxes that are not there? Did, did you do a lot of that? We did a lot. You know, that's yeah, we do. You know, you, you, you know the, the old joke, you know, who are the extroverts at a ham fest? They're the ones who are looking at other people's shoes. Yeah. Uh, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were down there. We, we did find some good stuff. Um, I met uh, Charles, AI4OT, who we always see at these ham fests. He's always a great guy, I, great great QRPer, home brewer. And a guy who's been away for a long time, Jake, NU4Y, a former member of the Vienna Wireless Association, been away from ham radio for a long time. Glad you're back, Jake. I hope you're listening. I missed KD4EBM, and uh, he was the one who sent me sent me the uh, the, the, the VHF monitor. Um, anyway, um, it was a pretty good ham fest, but... Enough of that. We're not going to uh, to Dayton. May go out to Manassas in June, maybe. Anyway, uh, Pete, I think that brings us time to the mailbag. We're almost time for the mailbag. Yeah. Hey, just wanted to, just wanted to uh, throw in just one item here. I heard a conversation on Twenty Meters the other day talking about the future of ham radio, and uh, these guys know everything. I mean, they, you hear them, you hear them buzz their they're they're out of on fourteen two oh eight fourteen two oh eight dot two oh eight and they meet every day and they know everything about anything and they said ham radio in fifty years from now will not be as we know it. They said there'll be no rigs as we know it. You'll have a smartphone, you'll link link into a remote transmitting and receiving site and worldwide twenty four seven. So I said Eh, you know, who are these guys? So here a guy checks in. For, <laughs> he, he's he's somewhere, someplace overseas, and he's checking in via a remote station. I said, well, on the horizon. So yeah, just, but I mean, think that's, about that. That is, that is kind of the scary part of it. I put up on the blog uh, kind of our dismal digital future picture, yeah. and it showed one of these commercial rigs with like a remote head. You know, they have like remote yeah. heads. They used yeah. to have the remote heads so that you could pull it out so your car stereo wouldn't get robbed and you could take it with yeah. you. Or you could have a bigger car stereo located in the trunk and you would just have the tuning head. And I just said, God, you know, the the, the head itself, it looks sort of like the, the display on my smartphone. My smartphone can do worldwide instantaneous communications in voice and, and video. I don't have the – I have far greater emotional attachment to my HD37 than I do to this – this device because i had nothing to do with this thing i couldn't possibly fix it i don't understand how it works inside the whole the whole thing but i i wrote up a little article and i called it our dismal our dismal digital future with a picture of this monstrous radio there and guys came back uh and told me oh no wait there's some guys out there who are home brewing their own remote heads Using these fantastic Nexion screens that you that you that you were talking about, so I said, all right. I granted, like like on the on the vintage SSB, I granted dispensation. If you homebrew your own remote head, well, I mean the whole remote head thing. I, I joked, this is not something I can get my head around. But I, I, I okay, yeah, it it could be changing. You get this with the SDR guys too. They'll come on, and there's this very kind of sanctimonious, almost superior tone when you tell them. Well, it's very interesting that you're running that uh, at homebrew sideband rig with a <coughs> crystal filter, but of course, soon all rigs will be will be SDR because we're so superior. And I always think, well, yeah, but as I've said repeatedly, you don't really know how that SDR rig works. You certainly didn't build it, 
and it's it's going to be even if it is the future it's a very different future and i you know the one of the great things about ham radio is you don't have to go there if you don't want to witness the vintage nets where we're all running rigs that are yeah older than we pre, are pre-1970 <laughs> pre-1970 yeah my, my hd 37 was built in 1959 <laughs> so yeah i mean so to each his own hey by the way you can actually buy HT32 tra- uh, transmitters cheaper than HT37. I can't explain it, but there's four of them listed now that are cheaper than HT37 on eBay. Well, we were talking about this because this is part of our discussion of mechanical versus crystal filters. And yeah. you pointed it out, and then uh, Steve N8NM came on, and he pointed out. Is it N8NM? Yeah, November Mike. November Mike. I'm sorry, Steve. I, I, I jumbled up your call sign there. But um, anyway, uh, we're talking about it, and it, it really was a cost factor that back in the day when they were thinking about building these rigs, the mechanical filters sometimes were cheaper than the crystal filters. So they went with mechanical filters. And in the case of the HT37, they got rid of the filters altogether, and they went with phasing. But this made me think about something that I might have thought about this in the past, but I hadn't really thought about it a lot. My HT37 Drake 2B combination, this is a really good combination in many ways, but it's also a good combination because neither the transmitter nor the no receiver have a, have a crystal filter, filter in it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The, the, the transmitter uses phasing, and yeah. the receiver uses uh, LC filters at 50 kilohertz. So... Yeah. Anyway, Steve is uh, Steve and others are kind of intrigued by this whole idea of doing receivers with LC filters, kind of double or triple conversion down to 50 kcs or 100 kcs. And uh, I have the Doug Dumas article in which he gives the uh, kind of the the charts for the LC values for these kinds of filters. Uh, Steve was also saying that you know he wants to get away from simplicity. We've been building a lot of simple rigs and it may be time to do something more complicated just for the sake of doing something different and i i I hear him i find myself pulled in the same direction speaking of which in the mailbag uh steve says uh steve sent me a really nice national (laughs) dial beautiful thing look at this box look at that and it's got the whole dial and everything else he was spurred to do this by that beautiful um capacitor that you sent me with the gears and the reduction drives and everything else the only thing is i don't think i could use this dial with that capacitor because this dial already has significant uh reduction in it doesn't doesn't that stuff come off it might be able to come off that would really be good yeah i think i think i think i think it just a couple of screws and that all take it off off. yeah then i could could use it with the yeah uh, directly with that yeah um, all right good Uh, that's probably what i'll do and I may, I, I've got to figure out what to build with it. I'm, I'm, I'm more inclined to go transceiver because you've, you've convinced me that transceiver is the way to go. If you're going to build the receiver, you might as well put a few extra stages in there and make it a transceiver. Um, but, but we'll, we'll work on that. Um, I, I already mentioned Dave in, in, uh, in, in New York City with the, with the book, uh, the high fidelity book. Very cool. We'll hear more about that. Um, let's see. Jim Daldry, W4JED, sent in an interesting report. We had talked about how somebody had taken the QCX, not the QSX, the QCX CW phasing transceiver. Guido. Guido Guido did this, right? Guido did it, yep. And he had, through some really 
skillful and complicated software manipulation had made the QCX into a sideband rig. But Jim Daldry reports that uh, reports of reliable SSB on this particular rig were greatly exaggerated. And he quotes somebody who we haven't heard much from, Pete, um, and I'm wondering about her, Allison, KB1GMX. We haven't heard from Allison in a long time. No. Allison, please check in. Let us know how you're doing. What are you working on? Um, anyway, um, this uh, he, he points out that you know it was a bit of a, a software kludge. The guy wasn't recommending, Guido wasn't recommending it as something that everybody could do. He was just trying to demonstrate that it was possible. You could do it. This is proof of concept, not right. final product. But not really practical. So uh, anyway, thanks for pointing that out, Jim. And Guido, thanks for the effort. And Allison, please let us know how you're doing. Rob Powell wrote, wrote in, we had, we, had, we had made an offer, I think, on the last podcast that anybody who sent us a, uh, a picture or a video of them wearing a beret would win a free subscription to the Solder Smoke podcast online version. And so, Rob, you, you definitely get it. And he did some experiments about whether wearing the beret or not wearing the beret affected his uh, operating uh, results. And apparently wearing the beret does help. So thanks for that, Rob. Keeps we the brain get, cells warm. Well, right. There's something, something going on there. But um, the um, we also got, a, got reports from Down Under from VK2TPM and VK2BLQ. They, too, have <clears throat> been wearing uh, uh, the appropriate headgear with good results. Thanks for those reports, gentlemen. Um, John, Mike Mike Zero Alpha, Charlie November, sent us a very heartwarming knack story about his introduction to radio. Thanks for that, John. Uh, Colin Davis, G3VMU, um, sent us a very nice picture, uh, kind of a 1930s era, that kind of socialist realism kind of uh, art showing uh, a German radio amateur sitting in front of a, a radio in the 1930s. Um, interesting. I put that up on the blog. Um, now, uh, regarding the digital analog divide, Pete, uh, our friend Alan, WA9IRS, sent us a very illuminating diagram showing the signal flow in your typical <laughs> digital rig. <laughs> the scales the scales fell from my eyes. Suddenly I understood. <laughs> you guys go go to the blog, take a look. In the last month you'll see the, the entry from Alan WA nine IRS and you too will begin to understand the reason I've taken my position on the analog side of the analog digital divide. And, and my response to him was, it makes perfect sense to me. Oh, it does <laughs> to somebody. Um, uh, Chris KD4PBJ sent us some nice pictures. His grandmother worked for, for Hammerland, and uh, he's got some oh. wonderful pictures there. Great radio history. Oh, man. Did, did you see my comment back to him? Notice how the factory workers were dressed. Oh, I mean, everybody uh, dressed. Everybody dressed better every, all the time. But people didn't leave the house without uh, putting a suit and tie on. Uh, yeah. Well, I, his grandmother there. She's with a soldering iron. She looks like she's r- ready for cocktail hour. I mean, it was it's like it's formal a, attire. <laughs> we're slipping, Pete. We're slipping. Yeah. Um, and Steve NU0P just recently sent me a, a nice uh, website on Art Collins and. Collins Corporation's involvement in the moonshot communications. Very interesting. I hadn't been aware of that, that Collins was a, was a big player in this. Again, 50th anniversary stuff. So we're looking for, I think they're working on a couple of videos. They, they got the trailer, uh, 
I'll try to put it up on the blog for the for for videos that they're working on about the history of Art Collins. But Art Collins apparently, and you know, you probably know a lot more about this, Pete. You probably know Art, but um, he um, he is another one of these kind of basement attic uh, kind of kids who then went on to do great things that changed the world and technology and everything else. So. We're going to look more into Art Collins and the Art Collins story. But, Steve, thanks for sending us that uh, I, I that think link. as the story goes, when Berg did the Antarctic expedition, he was the only guy able to talk to him. The Navy couldn't could reach him, but Collins but th- did. And I think he was 15 years old at yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah. So everybody says, hey, you want to talk to Berg? <laughs> Go see Collins. <laughs> the Navy. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh I just want to put out a plug here. I'm still looking for um, mechanical filters. Some of you guys, there has to be some of these sitting there at the bottom of your junk box or, or someplace. Uh, please send me, especially 455 KCs. I could use one or two. That might that might be something that I would use with the, the wonderful capacitor that Pete sent me and the wonderful velvet vernier dial. I love that word, velvet vernier. Steve always refers to, Steve's picked up saying that uh, the secret to success in many radios is jeweled movements. Yes, yes. So if you take jeweled movements with and velvet combine veneer. it velvet veneer, <laughs> it's going to sound smooth. Yes, yes. <laughs> smooth yes. jazz. Yes, there you go. <laughs> we better stop. We're getting silly. Pete, got anything else? No, no, I'm good. I, I'm I'm glad we we got a podcast in April. Uh, uh, although your travel prevented us from doing it sooner, we we at least did one in March and one in April. There we go. On there schedule. we go. Punch it. You know. And when I retire, I think we should try to ramp this thing up. Maybe do two a month. I, I'm okay with that. All right. But you're right. gonna find out something. You're gonna so, tell me this. I don't want to hear this. You when you retire, your life does not your own because all of a sudden people say, "Oh, he's retired. Let's volunteer for this. Well, well, Let's volunteer I, I, for that." I, 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 listen, I, I was I was stuck in traffic the other day and I saw a pickup truck with a bumper sticker that made me laugh, and it was a big pickup truck, and the bumper sticker said, "Yes, this is my pickup truck." And no, I will not help you move. There <laughs> <laughs> you go. There you go. That's hey, it. seven threes from Northern Virginia. Seven threes from the left coast. Thanks Take a care. lot, Pete. Ciao. We'll see you. Bye bye. Ooh, that's awesome. The Solder Smoke Podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to soldersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Solder Smoke is listener-supported, and there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Solder Smoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com. Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at cafepress.com. If you have a small business, consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. 
Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well, we have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi ragazzi!